and Rebecca. Appreciate your help on the piano and sing, leading the singing tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians this evening. Colossians, and we're continuing our study together. Uh, Colossians chapter number two. Colossians chapter two. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, and uh, really into chapter 2, speaks much uh, first concerning um, uh, Christ himself and who we know Christ to be, how that he is to be before all things. And really we saw the prayer together, the prayer of Paul. You remember it's the people of Colossae that are the Gentile people, not the Jewish people. Colossae is not a place which Paul has ever actually set foot upon but yet we see and hear and read of the testimony of the people of Colossae in chapter 1 and the, that uh, to whom Paul is praying for. And really, as he's telling them of his prayer that he has for them, he speaks uh, highly of the testimony that is left of the people and how they came to know Christ. And, and he emphasizes upon the fact of who God is and how that he is to be before all things in verse number 17. And um, we see that he is in all things. He's behind all things. Be, be, it is because of him that all things consist. That's chapter 1. And uh, in the end of the uh, chapter, we really read of um, God's working. At the end of verse 29, the Bible says, striving according to his working. And everything that we do in the Christian life should be striving according to God's intent. As God is behind all things and he controls all things, so, that, so we are depend, to depend upon his power and his leading, uh, knowing that he is in control. I'm reviewing with you here as we walk through. In uh, chapter 2, we talked about the evidences of spiritual maturity. And in verse number 7, it brings out many of those things, rooted and built up in him, established in faith. Um, the Bible says abounding therein with thanksgiving. All of these things are clear evidence that we are maturing in our Christian life and that we are growing in him. And so he goes from in chapter 1 talking about Christ and the testimony of the people of Colossae and his prayer that he has for them to now turning to the church themselves and who they are and where they stand in the Christian life and what their responsibility is. And so this evening, we're going to look at some of the warnings that are given to uh, the Christians. As we look together from verse 1 through verse 8, we looked at the uh, Christian life and our completeness, which we have in him. And that's that very idea. We are rooted, we're built up, we're established, we're abounding. We talked about all these things together. And uh, this is what makes us complete in Christ. Aren't you thankful that we can be complete in Christ? Amen? And God tells us all these assurances that we have in our saving knowledge of him. Uh, but there are some warnings that he also gives here. And one of them we looked together at already. So for sake of time, I'm not going to dwell uh, majorly upon it, but in verse 8, he gives that first of those warnings uh, a, 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 to the Christian, and he tells us of a warning of false teachers. Uh, verse 8, the Bible says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And you remember, uh, we looked together at that word rudiments. It speaks of the basic elements or the basic fundamentals of knowledge and and uh, what, what we are warned of is not allow ourselves to fall into this deceitful teaching as though there is something more to receive beyond what we already have been given. And so God makes it very clear that as he is to be before all things, he is to have the preeminence, so he also is to have that preeminence in our growing Christian life. And so we are not to allow the knowledge of Christ to exceed 
our, our desire and knowledge for Christ to exceed our growth in Christ. There is a point in, in the Christian life, if we are not careful in following God's warning here, that we can be so consumed with simply receiving knowledge rather than sincerely growing in him. And so that's why he gives a reminder in verse 11 that we are circumcised in him. That which is the old man has been removed. The flesh should be removed. We have been purified in Christ, that spiritual circumcision. In verse 12 and 13, the Bible tells us that we are alive in him, where once we were dead in sin, now we are alive in Christ. In verse 14, and again, I'm reviewing with you here, but he tells us that we are free from the law in him. As remember, it is the Gentile people who are being spoken to here, a whole nether race, you may say, a whole nether people group. And uh, it was very easy for the people of Colossae, having been saved through the testimony of the people in Philippi, the Jewish people, it was very easy for them to, uh, re to adapt and to um, consider their traditions in the Jewish law as also being necessary for their growth in the Christian life. But Paul makes it very clear that we are free from the law. It is the law, the law being the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices, the traditions that were, uh, 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 the, the ceremonies that were done uh, of the Jewish law. All of these things were only but shadows of what was to come. By this time, Christ has already died upon the cross. And all God's people said, Amen. And we do no longer have to bring sacrifices before God. We no longer uh, live just by the Ten Commandments, but we live by the whole and complete Word of God. Amen. And so our growth in Christ does not start and stop at the law. And so that's what he says in verse 14. In that very context, those things do not grant salvation. They do not make you a better Christian either. But yet they are things that were only foreshadows of what God was to do. In verse 15, the Bible then tells us of that victorious life we have in him. Look at verse 15. And having spoiled uh, principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And so we have a triumph in Christ, knowing that God has, has, um, uh, is, is in control. Once again, as verse 15 says, the principalities and the powers. God is in charge of it all. And really, he's reiterating. He, he's, I, I consider himself having rabbit trailing a little bit. He's started giving one of these warnings, and now he's suddenly drifted off into uh, pretty much much, much of what he's already emphasized upon in chapter 1. But uh, he's re reiterating here of the victorious life which we have in Christ and how that he is to be preeminent. So that first of these four warnings, which we're looking at tonight, the first of them is a warning of false teachers. That false teaching that, uh, in other words, you may not be, um, although today there are some who may give teachings that can be falsely received in the Christian life and cause us to be so consumed upon uh, beyond our spiritual growth, but uh, the reality of what he's bringing out here is don't allow yourself to fall into the traditions into the Jewish law um, uh, things that, uh, uh, what we would say, the more common Christians, the majority of Christians are following. If we're not careful in the Christian life, we can all fall under tradition. Amen? Uh, we can all fall under things that we consider to be have-tos, but it, they're not biblical. And uh, so, really, we could apply this so parallel to today um, that although we may not have sacrifices and and uh, you know, consider the Ten Commandments as necessary for salvation and, and abiding and following by them. 
yet we can also fall into uh, kind of a rut, so to speak. And there can be a deadness in our spiritual life, and it can stunt our spiritual growth. And this is the very context of what this passage is being brought out. And so understand there's a warning of false teachers. And I'll emphasize to you again, be careful who you listen to. Uh, be careful of the teachings of, of these modern-day teachers, um, uh, whether it be things concerning prophecies or whether it be things uh, concerning, uh, sometimes we can be so consumed about, uh, you know, the study of Bible versions or we can be so consumed about the study of, of uh, you know, uh, how a Christian should dress or uh, sometimes we can get carried away upon different Bible colleges and the history of all these things and we can allow ourselves to be studying into things that are Christian-related and sometimes uh, educational in what they are, but they so consume us that it stunts our growth in, in where we should be growing in our Christian life. So let me give you the second warning here, and this coming into kind of new territory, as you may be taking notes this evening, uh, there's a warning of judgmentalism, a warning of judgmentalism. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Once again, he's referring all into that of the Jewish law, but he says, let no, let no man therefore judge you. So he's speaking to these Gentiles, don't let any man judge you for the way you're living, uh, and, and, and uh, don't let them, um, let them uh, discourage you, don't let them uh, overemphasize to you that you need to live by the Jewish law just because you are not living by the Jewish law does not mean you're not growing in your Christian life. And I say that again, coming back to all of these traditions, we may call them of men, which can easily be developed among uh, independent fundamental Baptist people. And uh, we can easily allow ourselves to fall into these things uh, just because you don't do just as another person doesn't mean you can't grow in your Christian life. And all God's people said, Amen. All of us grow in different ways, and all of us have areas of growth that we need to grow uh, in, in stronger ways than others. And so uh, the warning of judgmentalism, don't allow yourself to be, uh, it's not to say that we're to keep others from judging us. I wish I could say that no one will ever judge you in the Christian life, but that happens in the Christian life. People judge you. But the idea of it is don't let it discourage you. Don't let yourself feel like you have to do what everyone else is doing in order to fit in in order to be accepted. Uh, don't feel like you, you have to become like a select group of Christian people in order to be acceptable before God. The Bible tells us that God accepts us as we are, amen? That no matter who we are, no matter our background, no matter what sin we may have in our past, uh, no matter any of those things, God can use all men. God loves all men equally. And so this is the very idea, uh, how easy it is uh, for us as Christians even, when we have the unsaved or the newly saved that would come and even be a part of our church, that we would not uh, 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 develop a Christian lingo or a Christian uh, clickism uh, that we, in order to accept you have to do these things. Uh, there are steps of growth that happens in a person's life. Let me give you an example. There are some churches today that uh, if you become a new Christian, they'll immediately tell you, you have to have this kind of Bible version, you have to dress this kind of way, and you have to listen to this kind of music. Uh, it's not to say that they should not have those things taught to them, but they shouldn't all be poured out to them at once. Uh, they, that, a Christian has to learn to grow in their Christian life. I remember uh, having traveled neighborhood Bible time, and I was at a church in... Um, Washington State, 
and I was, you know, obviously just a uh, college guy at that time, so I'm still learning things, and, and uh, I remember the pastor, as we were out door knocking one of the days that week, and there was another man who was with us. He had uh, a number of different piercings and, and uh, several tattoos all up and down his arms, and he's wearing a short sleeve shirt and shorts and everything, very hardly presentable in my mind as compared to the, how the pastor and I were dressed and carrying ourselves. And... Um, uh, I remember the pastor pulling me aside. He said, now just understand this, that this man, he just got saved. And he says, you can clearly see that there are areas of growth and how he can learn to carry himself, how he can learn to present himself, how to learn to even uh, be a witness and all these things. But he said, those things come with time. He says, I, I, that is not something I'm just going to force upon him. And this is the very idea that, that, is, that was happening with the people of Colossae, that there was being a forcing upon, there was being a judgmentalism that was happening, there was a division that was taking place that if you don't do as we're doing and when we tell you to, then we're not going to accept you. Then you're not truly living for God fully. You're not acceptable even before God. In some cases, it would be taken that far. And that happens still today in churches uh, of, of this same way, if you don't say amen, or if you don't wear a white shirt, or if you don't comb your hair the same way as everyone else. Uh, but uh, this is, God says um, that there are things that are, um, that are simply shadows of things to come. There are things that God has already done in our life to purify us, to cleanse us. There are things in our life that we will progressively grow and at different points in time in our life. So don't let the judgmentalism of others discourage you in your Christian life. Let yourself be encouraged in your growth. You're doing the right thing. Just be warned. Just be aware that no matter how hard you try, there will always be Christians and non-Christians for that matter who will judge you for how you live your life. And uh, you can either allow yourself to become bitter and frustrated at those individuals or you can examine your own life and grow through them. And so uh, th this is that warning that is given. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty therewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so uh, we understand that the Jews, having kept the Sabbath and, and they're having their exclusive diet and, and all of these foods which were classified as clean and unclean and, and the sacrifices and all the ceremonies which were taking place, all of these things is the context of what Paul is referring to. And so don't allow yourself, don't let any man judge you. He's not saying go punch him in the face if they judge you, but he's saying don't allow yourself to be discouraged of this fact. Know that you can still grow in Christ, even though you may not, as he refers to in verse 16, in meat or in drink or in respect to the holy day, even though you may not do exactly as the Christian who's been saved for 20 years has done. Okay? I look at verse 17, which are the shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so he's, he's really coming into another subject here, but understand that the law reveals sin, but, but it does not have the power to prevent sin. And so really what he's trying to emphasize here is, yes, these guys may be following by the Jewish law, but that doesn't make them sinless. It does not make them better of a person. And so uh, as as they should not judge you, don't allow yourself to judge someone else just because they're not doing what you're doing. So it's a two-way uh, two street here. And uh, this law, which they're following by, as verse 17 tells us, it's only a shadow of things to come. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says yet again, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year 
continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So uh, as, as much as they may abide by the traditions and the law and the Jewish um, beliefs, uh, that does not make them any better. We all have areas of growth in our Christian life. Here's the third warning, a warning of beguilement. A warning of beguilement in verse 18. Let no man beguile you. The word beguile means to declare unworthy of a prize. In fact, if you find that verse or that word being used elsewhere, it's, it's used in the context as, as, um, as even with a runner or in a competition in the area of you're not being successful. You've not... Uh, you, you've become uh, unable to receive the prize. And so uh, this is what, the, uh, unable to receive reward. And so this is what the warning is being of. Don't let the Jewish law beguile them. Uh, don't let it so consume you that it would cause you to lose the blessings from God. Every step of growth in the Christian life is a blessing from God. Amen? Uh, we, we can praise the Lord for it, that we can grow in him. And so don't allow yourself to be so consumed with the people who may judge you. Don't allow yourself to be so consumed with the false teachings of this, word, of this world. Simply let yourself be focused upon God's word and what is not the shadows of things to come, but what we have now and today, let yourself grow in Christ. And so uh, there's a warning of beguilement. And he, he mentions that again in verse 18, there's a loss of rewards. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and in worshiping of angels. So here we see the people of Colossae being warned of the tradition, the ceremonial worship of the Jewish law. Uh, but a Christian who fails to follow God's direction um, is not losing their salvation. Rather, they're losing uh, their approval of the Lord. So when you allow yourself to be so uh, consumed with these things, you're really losing your approval to receive that prize or to be rewarded, to be blessed by God. Don't lose the blessing. Don't lose the reward. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8, the Bible says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so each of us, having our own set of labor, may we be faithful to what God lays before us and, and rest assured that as God has promised, he will bless, embrace those blessings. Don't allow yourself to be beguiled. He says again, not only the loss of rewards, but a loss of genuineness. It says, let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. So we're speaking of in your worship, by the way, okay? So the beguilement, you lose your blessing from God when you're no longer worshiping in humility. You're no longer worshiping God in voluntary humility, but you're doing it out of obligation, really. It says intruding, notice that word, intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. So when you allow these things to become greater than your own spiritual growth in your Christian life, you then lose any genuine desire and worship before God. Uh, you're now no longer doing what you're doing, as we talked about this morning, out of a love for God, but you're doing it out of tradition. You're doing it uh, simply because you feel obligated. You're doing it because somebody asked you to. You're doing it because you're trying to fit in. But yet God says, uh, if, if we are aware of this warning, if we're keeping ourselves from beguilement, we'll allow ourselves to be genuine in our worship and we'll embrace and receive those blessings rather than lose them. In verse 19, the Bible says, if you allow yourself to be beguiled, there will also be a loss of respect. 
in verse 19, it says, and not holding the head. This is speaking of the false teachers. They were not uh, holding the head. Notice the capital H. That's speaking of God. We know God being the head of the what? Church. And this is who he's speaking to is the church itself. And so the beguilement of the false teachers uh, is being given with the context of saying, hey, they don't hold to the head. So if you begin to do as they do and you're beguiled by them, you're not going to hold to the head either. <laughs> you're not going to let Christ become first. And the whole context of, of Colossians, Christ will not be preeminent. He will not be before all things in your life. He will not be before all things in your church if you allow yourself to be beguiled by these things. And so you'll lose all respect for God himself. God will not become first. And so this is the warning that's given. He gives yet a fourth thing, a loss of nourishment. It says, a not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increasing with the increase of God. And so because Christ is the, is the head um, and, and was not preeminent among these false teachers, these, uh, these uh, false prophets, as they're also called, their spiritual nourishment decreased in their life. And so the warning is this, that as they lost their opportunity to grow, they had no desire, they had no nourishment that was coming into their life to allow them to grow spiritually, so the same will happen to you if you allow yourself to become beguiled. Colossians chapter 1, just another page over in verse number 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. And so that very reference which is being made in verse 19 is speaking of God who is the head, the body of believers, and so God is to be remaining the first and foremost. Uh, we don't live the Christian life uh, because of what the pastor tells us to do. Uh, hopefully it's because of what God tells us to do through the pastor, amen? Uh, we don't do what we do because of, uh, of what the, the you know, tr uh, traditions of men, of what uh, men have always done all through the years, we let become first and foremost of our life God himself and his word. We live by it. We don't s simply just live by the Ten Commandments uh, because those were only shadows of things to come. We don't just live for the sacrifices that we want to give before God because the Bible tells us that God has already given the ultimate sacrifice, so the only thing that should be given is ourselves. And the only area of growth that is needed is of ourselves. So be, what, be aware, be warned of the uh, beguilement. And, uh, you know, sometimes these sins can be, um, it can draw us to a point of, of maybe boredom in some ways uh, because we feel like there's such an overemphasis of Paul saying the same thing. And, in fact, you see it again in Hebrews. You see it in other passages like Ephesians and the warnings of the law, the warnings of the law. Uh, these things are not just warnings that were of that time. They still yet exist today for what we face among Christianity. Because the same battles, the same struggles, the same frustrations in the church that the people were facing and the beguilements, the false teachers, they still happen today, but yet in a different form, maybe on a different level, uh, with and, and according to our culture, none of the times uh, in Bible times. And so understand that these things are important not just to Paul, but they're important from God to us that we understand uh, as have, having heard from the Word of God and, and seen in multiple passages of Scripture, it is, it is given of great warning that we don't allow ourselves to be beguiled, that we don't allow ourselves to, um, uh, to be uh, consumed with the judgmentalism of others, that we don't allow ourselves 
to fall under the teaching of these false teachers. In verse 20, he gives yet another warning and really drawing the context for chapter 3. He says, a warning of the world. A warning of the world. He's being much broader now. Here he was becoming very specific, but now he's broadening just a little bit before he specifies again. In verse 20, therefore, if ye be dead in Christ from the rudiments of the world, those basic elements, those fundamentals of knowledge, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's those little fireside chats that the pastor has with the church, you know, and uh, kind of being a little bit straight with the church and says, um, we need to work on this. This is what Paul's doing with the people of Colossae. He says, uh, okay, now you're all sitting here nodding your heads. Uh, you all are understanding what I'm saying, right? Why is it that you're living for the world and you're not living for Christ as being first and foremost? He's asking this question. In fact, if I, were, if I were you, I would mark that verse in verse 20. Why, as though living in the world, how easy it is to allow ourselves to fall under the beguilement and the temptations and the things of this, uh, of this world and become subject to them before our subjection to Christ. And so he brings this question back, verse 21 and 22. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using. He's referring again to these foods of the Jewish law uh, and the traditions. Certain foods or practices were considered unholy and were to be avoided. And he's bringing this back to the Christian life. He says, hey, not just things uh, of the Jewish uh, law should be avoided, but there are things of this world that should be t not touched, that should be not tasted, that should not be handled. Uh, then, and so understand he gives that principle, verse 22, which all are to perish with the using. They don't last forever. They have not always been. Chapter 1 of Colossians, the Bible tells us that God has always been. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was God. God has always existed. So why are we becoming subject to the things of this world, which shall someday perish, when we have all that we need? One who has always existed. One who has died for us. One who has made and given us all that we need, given us his word to grow and live by. Don't allow yourself to be consumed with the things of this world. In verse 22, he says, after the commandments and the doctrines of men, he's bringing it back full circle again. Why are you following these things? Why is it that some of you are allowing yourself to become so focused on all of these other things of the world that shall someday pass away when all you simply need to be doing is living for God. Amen? And, and, and may I say uh, how easy um, that can be even for a pastor to do also, to fall into all of these things of the world, falling by the traditions and the knowledge and all these things, and yet uh, be so unfocused upon uh, simply God's calling for my life. And so all of us have a calling for each of our lives, and we must fulfill that calling. God must be preeminent. He must be first. He must be the reason why we do. Anytime you come back to anything in the Christian life, you ask yourself why. Ask yourself why according to the word of God, not why according to man. And so uh, look at verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in honor to the satisfying 
of the flesh. So there's a lot that's in that verse, but understand this, at the very end of the verse, not an honor to the satisfying of the flesh. All of these things only bring a, a fleshly appeal, only bring a, a fleshly desire. And so he comes again, are you being cautious? Are you being aware of what's around you? And notice in chapter 3, as we uh, begin to close here together, he continues to talk about the things, this very context, the things of this world. Verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. I'd mark in your Bible that first word, seek. I've circled that in my Bible. Which uh, were Christ, sitteth on the right hand of, uh, of God. Verse 2, set, circle that next word, set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. In verse 3, so we see there are things that you are to seek things which are above. There are, uh, there are your affections, your desires, your heart, your mind is to be set upon things which are above, not on things of this earth. In verse 3, uh, although we do not see the word, I've, I've written in my Bible the word see, because now he's helping to remind us, hey, why should we seek? Why should we set? Because see this, verse 3, for ye are dead. You could stop there and somebody says, wait a second, you're telling me I'm dead? No, we're dead in Christ, amen? But we are dead in Christ. The old man has passed away, verse 3. Your life is hid with Christ in God. What do you mean by hid? It's not that we're hiding our Christian life, but the Christian life is hidden to the world. When the world looks at, uh, at the Christian life, they don't understand. They don't know uh, what the Christian life is. And so we are hid with Christ. And there's so much more that we could talk about that being hidden in Christ. But verse 4 continues. When Christ, who is our life, what a wonderful uh, phrase to circle, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So we see this, uh, as he tells us, seek, set, and see. What are we to see? We are dead. <laughs> We're hidden with Christ. He is our life. That is, we live in Christ. And verse 4, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, shall also appear with him in glory. We are glorified in Christ. God considers us, to put it in English terms, we are special in his eyes. Amen? We are special in his eyes. God does not look at the Christian and say, oh, wow, look at all the sinful past. The Bible says we are justified. It's just as if we had never committed any sin. There is no existence of sin. There is no remembrance of sin. The Bible says we are justified before him. And so Paul says, see this. <laughs> Here you are seeking and setting your affections on all the other things of this world. But see what you have in God. You have all that you need. Why would you pursue anything else in life? And so he brings us now to verse 5, and we'll close here, where he says, mortify therefore. I've said to you before, we, anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, he says therefore, or we, we could rearrange those words saying the same thing, mortify therefore, or therefore mortify, okay? Knowing this, seeking, setting, seeing, therefore mortify, therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscies, and covetousness, which is adultery. We know that word mortify means to put to death. And what is, it, what is he saying we are to put to death? All fleshly desires, anything that would seek to have control of your life. 
Uh, why? Because if you don't let yourself uh, be seeking and setting yourself on things which are above, you're going to allow yourself to be controlled by things of this world. And so uh, he tells us in, um, uh, in uh, the, the verse number five of our actions um, that we are to uh, mortify, that we are to put to death the actions of fornication, that is sexual immorality, inordinate affection, uncleanness, lustful impurities, all of these things that he's mentioning here all consider and all have to do with our actions. That our actions, that which we do with our hands, the places which we go with our feet, the things which we look at with our eyes, that we hear with our ears, all of the other things which we do on the outside with our body should be set and should be seeking things which are above. They should not be seeking the earthly things of this world. And he continues, not just of our actions, but also of our mind and of our heart. And that's why he speaks of the evil concupiscences. That's a, a fun word to say. Say that ten times fast, right? Evil concupiscences. It's speaking of our desires, our cravings, our longings, our greed. And so where does all of these desires, these cravings, this greed come from? From the heart out of the heart of the issues of life, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. The Bible tells us that our mind and our heart should be set upon God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The blessings of God come when we seek and we set our heart upon him, having seen what God has done for us in our life. And um, uh, so he speaks then not of just those evil concupiscences, but also of covetousness, always wanting more sin. Always wanting more. That's, that's what covetousness is. Give me, give me, give me. Give me what I want. You know, the one thing interesting about the Ten Commandments, the tenth of those commandments is thou shalt not covet. If you uh, commit the sin of covetousness, you've really broken all other nine commandments. Because the truth of the matter is, if you take the context of Colossians chapter 1, the Bible says that he is to be preeminent. He is to be a, before all things, above everything else in our life. Yet when you covet and you desire the things of this world, you're breaking them all. And this is, this is what Paul, I believe, he's, he's uh, making it as clear as, and black and white as he possibly can that when you sit and you wish and you desire and you crave uh, and you have a greedy, prideful desire of your heart to have the things of this world that, you, that I have not already, already given you, you've allowed yourself to be beguiled. You've allowed yourself to, uh, to fall under this worrying of what others are thinking, of this judgmentalism from others. You've allowed yourself to fall under the false teachings and essentially the false teachings of this world. I, I love to walk through scripture and see how all the, the verses so connect. Oftentimes we break down scripture by the chapters, but yet the context flows with the writer. And as he's speaking of all these things, Christ must be preeminent. And when we allow ourselves to, uh, to not set and to seek God and the things of God above and before all things, we've allowed ourselves to lose those rewards. We're now serving God out of a lack of genuine desire. We've now, we now lose all respect for God as we should, and we're not receiving any nourishment. We're not growing in Christ as we can and should be. And so he ends the, uh, this thought and before he really begins yet another by saying in verse 6, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Notice, the children of disobedience. He's talking about the children of God. 
those children who, those people who are Christians, who know God. Uh, we, the Bible says the day we receive Christ by faith, we are a child of God. And so God says, I will judge, I will judge the children of disobedience. Those who know what is right and yet refuse to mortify. They refuse to put to death. They refuse to, uh, to let their desires be set and to be seeking the things of God which are above. Verse 7, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Past tense. When ye lived in them. You're a child of God now. Why are you living for the desires of this world? Stop pursuing the things of this world and live and set your heart and seek the things which are above. Seek the things of God. And, and what a great passage. Verse 8, put off, the Bible tells us. Uh, in verse 9, put off. In verse 10, to put on the new man. And as we'll look together at this in, in time to come, verse 12, putting on the new man, uh, the, the bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, there are, he's not just dwelling on all the bad things here, but he's bringing out the warning first. Hey, keep yourself from these things. Set your heart and seek your heart and your mind on these things. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uh, Christians who are setting and seeking you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. Bless our, our Christian lives. May we be ones that are receiving nourishment. May we be growing in you uh, through all of our days. Uh, may we not allow um, the, the things of this world to distract, to discourage, uh, to frustrate, uh, to, uh, to cause us to do uh, things more of tradition than the things of you. I wonder if God may have spoken to your heart this evening. Could I pray for you tonight? You say, Pastor Miller, God's spoken to me, I realize that I have not been seeking and setting my heart and my mind and my actions, every part of myself. I've not been mortifying myself before God as I should be. God's spoken to me in that way. Pray for me. Anyone like